Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today we have with us Dr. Thomas Capshew. He joins us from Virginia. Dr. Capshew, from a very young age, asked very hard questions like, why are we alive? What is life? From who and what was the material world created? And what is my purpose? Today he works in the field of human potential. Some of his primary tools include psychotherapy, meditation, energy work, hypnosis, shamanic practices, and spiritual mentoring. In addition, he is the author of the Divine Warrior Training, and today he joins us to talk about his new book, Consciousness Rising. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, we are so excited too. And can I just say that your resume is the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. thanks. I've, I've been busy. You have been so busy. I have to be honest. I printed it out. It was 13 pages and I was looking through it and I actually got tired. I was like, oh my God, this man has done everything. And it just was very intriguing to me. Let's talk about you as a child asking yourself those questions because that's not normal. I mean, most children don't ask themselves big questions like that. How old were you when you started asking those? Probably from as long as I can remember. Uh, my first actual memory was looking over at my brother who is 18 months older than me thinking, wow, this is fun, this life thing. Am I gonna be in his body tomorrow? And so, you know, it was like, ever since I can remember, I've thought about the big questions. So, and I think a lot of kids today are in that place. We're bringing in a whole lot of souls that are starting at that place and not falling asleep. And, you know, part of the reason that I've got such a resume is I've fallen asleep a couple of times and, you know, done other things that I thought would make me successful in the world. And that really wasn't my heart song. So I love how you say that your heart song, those, that's a cool way to put it. I mean, seriously, you went from an owner of a rubber stamp shop, correct? <laughs> correct. Yep. To being in law. Practice law in Florida. A teacher's assistant, which I did that yeah. too and loved to an instructor. I mean, it goes on and on. Sometimes in life, you have to do things and have experiences to figure out what you do want to do. And instead of looking at those as failures, looking at them as a gateway to getting to what you call your heart song, your soul song. Right. I see it as not as a meandering path. Absolutely. But every experience I picked up some skills that then get put into play when I find what I'm really here to do. I started off in religion, Christianity in particular, then uh, went into law and then went into social work and none of those quite fit until I got to the end and put all of those together. So the rubber stamp shop it was an example of you know, was that just a waste of a couple of years? No, I learned how to typeset. Then I published my own book. And so typesetting came into play, you know, 30 years later. It's like, yeah. wow, okay, that's why yeah. I was a rubber stamp shop owner. 
That's funny, Tom. That kind of happened to me. My dad owned a sports equipment store. And years ago, when I was in my 20s, he sent my brother and I to learn everything on the back end of computer, like HTML and all. We created him a website before they even had like e-commerce. I mean, it was like calling in, you know, back then. And, oh, I used to hate it. And I used to think, this is not my purpose. Like, why am I doing this? And I would even tell him all the time. And I, I don't belong in sports equipment, dad. This is not my deal, you know. He's passed and he would absolutely get a kick out the fact that I now build our website and I'm very proud of our website. And I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all that wasted, what I thought was wasted time ended up being. Yeah, every experience in our life is not a mistake. It's, yeah. If we see it as a mistake, we haven't learned our lesson or the thing from it yet. It's just uh, having fun and, you know, meandering through life is great. There's nothing better. Every experience helps you to learn what your heart song is and what you're here to do. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your heart song. So what is your heart song today? (laughs) What I've come to know is my heart song is to help people to live into their potential. So what we know is that as spiritual beings, every one of us is born with unlimited potential. The thing of it is, is no matter how much we live into our potential, we're going to die with something left on the table, right? The problem is, is life experiences put into our energetic field all kinds of limitations. And so we end up coming to a place where we don't think we're good enough or don't think we're smart enough or don't think we have the certain skills for something, that's all our thinking, not our potential. So what's in my new book is uh, we, we talk a lot about the four different layers of our, of our being. We've got our physical body. We've got a, an emotional energy body, which is just a little bit bigger than our physical an intellectual energy body, and a spiritual energy body. And what's happened to us, particularly in the United States, is we've bought into what I call the cult of the brain. We think the brain is the ultimate way through which to live our lives. But it's not really the brain. It's our heart. Our brain is what separates us from each other our heart is what connects us to each other. And so when we begin to live out of our heart, then we can listen and hear what our heart song is and move into our purpose and passion for life. Just like you guys have done with this podcast. You know, you're having a blast doing it. There were seeds, or I would say maybe like clues, like when I was younger, of the passions that I have today, right? Now I was, I didn't embrace them because they were conditioned out of me in some way. Right. Do you think they come with some sort of seed? Absolutely. Yeah. In my first book, Divine Warrior Training, I talk about everybody is born with challenges and skill set that, and passion that uh, is born into us. And many of us get overwhelmed by our challenges and don't really 
fulfill our purpose or develop our skills, but once you overcome those challenges. So say somebody comes in and says, okay, I'm going to grow up in a physically abusive household and I'm gonna overcome that challenge so that I can work with people who uh, work with kids who are in those kind of households. That's advancing human consciousness on the collective level. And I think we each come into, into life with uh, a set of challenges and a set of skills that are matched up to design to overcome those. And then we come into the physical world and there's uh, all kinds of limiting beliefs that we're taught that then, you know, sometimes we buy into those beliefs and it overwhelms us. We're really, humans are really the veil between the seen world and the unseen world. And our job is to, is to become more and more transparent so that the unseen world, the, the source of love and life flows through us brighter and brighter every day. So let's just clarify that because I actually have that in my notes. I love that you talk about this unseen world. What is this unseen outside world that you're talking of? Well, it's actually not outside. It's what we're embedded in. It's all around us everywhere, all the time. It's the source of all being. It's unity. There's nothing that is not it. So it's everything we can see. Our physical existence sees minute spectrum of even frequencies. You know, there's all kinds of frequencies that are outside of our visual cortex or visual ability to see. And everything and everyone is created from the same source. We all come from the same place. And that is what I call that source energy, I call the energy of love. And we're born from love into love and return to love. So our job is to remain awake to that and recognize that I look at you, I'm looking at the same person that came from the same source that I came from. Yeah. You're as much source energy as I am. And it's really hard to look at yourself that way and others if there's these limitations. Right. That's where the, the brain comes in. One of the greatest things in the last 10 years in the scientific realm is all of the new studies in brain science. That was my undergraduate was in psychology, and now it's called the Department of Brain Science. What we know about fMRIs, which is watching the brain as it's working, is the brain helps us to navigate the seen world but it doesn't do a whole lot to help us navigate the unseen world. So different parts of our brain take care of different parts of our being. And I mentioned that four kind of nesting eggs of physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. Well, the physical is controlled by the nucleus accumbens, which is part of the pleasure center. And I call that part of our brain the addict. And then the emotional energy body is controlled by the amygdala, which helps keep us safe. And that's what I call the toddler, because we want what we want when we want it, right? The intellectual part of our brain is controlled by our cerebral cortex. 
that sits on top of our midbrain. And that's what I call the security guard. That processes all of the sensory data around us to keep us safe and healthy and, you know, keep everything, keep our physical being intact. And then the biggest part of our energetic being is the spiritual part. And that part is controlled by our heart, not by our brain at all. And electromagnetic studies have shown that every organ in our body has an electromagnetic field. Our heart's electromagnetic field is the largest electromagnetic field in our body. It's 10 times bigger than our brain's electromagnetic field. The other thing that's really significant is when we come into the world as fetuses, what's the first part of our physical being that's developed? Our heart and circulatory system. So that's the seed of our physical existence. And then we use our brain to kind of navigate the world and forget where we really came from. That is amazing. I love how you just explained that. I completely align with that. I believe in that. I'm a doctor, but I can tell you from working with energy, 100%. I mean, that's what I've, you know, through experience have known. And I think that that is just a beautiful explanation. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. 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 And our bodies are the portal. We think about looking for portals or looking for vortexes. Our bodies are onboard portal with the lower chakras being our physical presence and the upper chakras being our spiritual presence and our heart being the mediator between those two that, you know, helps us to stay safe in the world, but also creates light and life and love into the world. A friend of ours just sent me this video on the third eye and how they have found calcite crystals. I I don't know where I've been, but I did not know that. (laughs) That just blew my mind. But then how our third eye has been truly scientifically proven that that's how we, we see this unseen. What we do is we get so mesmerized by the physical world that we forget that it all is created from the unseen world. And so we're standing at that point of singularity. So right at this moment, I've got a choice to do all kinds of things. I've got an unlimited amount of choices that I could do. I could keep on talking. I could stop talking. I could cuss you out. I could end the conversation. I could, uh, you know, go to the bathroom, anything is possible in this moment and we are choosing our next step. So when you talk about who we are, if I have a knee that I jacked up in yoga, I can start future processing a a healed knee just by the consciousness that I put into that knee right now. I can say, I no longer and choosing to have a jacked up knee. I'm going to bring in the healing power of the universe to uh, repair my knee and I'm gonna give it three days or five days. Whatever my belief is ends up manifesting in the world. And I see this all the time in my spirituality work. I'll have someone come in and they'll complain about some physical ailment 
and uh, they'll lay down on the table and I'll do a, a energy healing session. Uh, they'll get up and whatever was bothering them isn't even in their consciousness anymore, but they can reload it and put it back into their mind and say, oh, well, you know, um, Western medicine doesn't think that I could go to a guy like this and uh, be done with this situation just by a 50-minute session. But there are some people that believe that that can happen, and it does happen for them. It's our mind that holds those limitations. It's our heart that has the unlimited potential. Yeah, and actually, I'll share a story that just recently happened that I truly found was amazing and a perfect example of how powerful that is. My mother, who was living here in Colorado with me, well, we'd moved here when I was seven, so like over 30 years, after my dad died a few years ago, has really struggled with grief, and she's never really been alone before. So she decided to move to New Orleans, where we're from, to be with her family. And she has sisters and brothers and lots of cousins and nieces and nephews. When she first got there, they got to see, you know, that she was frail and, and fearful and different. But by the next day, she was perking up. She has had no stress. She has had so much love and happiness and laughter with them. She's like a totally different person. There is no medication, no doctor. Nobody could have done that for her. It was love. And we do that to ourselves. That's what I call in my book, spiritual dehydration. It's like we're wandering in a desert and we don't realize that, you know, what we need is love. And what we need is to surround ourselves with connection that helps us to get that sense of love from each other. And we also have to connect to our own heart and find that fount of love that flows through us all the time. It's a hard time right now with COVID, people having to be separated. That was when she really went downhill. It's really affected a lot of people. I mean, I even read a study and I'm not saying that it's true because I haven't done research, but that some places the suicide is higher than the COVID numbers. I mean, and that's terrifying and so sad because it's true, the oxytocin actually, that love hormone, we need it to live. Yeah. Part of the problem is the people that we want to be connected to are often also dangerous. We've created this world where humans are the most dangerous animal on the planet for other humans because of the way that we've treated each other. And so we crave that human connection, but we also fear it. And so one of the things that COVID is doing is it's reminding us that we can't live alone, you know, that we do need physical connection and being in the presence of other people. And it's also reminding us that we're connected whether we can see it or not, because we can't see COVID and we may not even know that we have it and we can transmit it to somebody else. So it's helping us to understand that there's an underlying connection that we need and that we need to attend to. But what we're finding is that we're starting to destroy what I call in the book, the dominator consciousness. 
we've been overrun for eons with this dominator consciousness where it's power over instead of power among. And we're seeing that start to crumble, which yeah. looks really scary, but I'm really excited about it because Me too. what it's bringing in is that sense that as individual humans connected to the source of our being, we all have the power to bring love into the world and love is really the only thing that transforms trauma. So people are learning that any relationship has to be intentional and in you've got to engage it with love. It's real easy to love the people that are easy to love. Yeah. But what we're learning is we've got to love the people that are hard as hell to love. That's where our work is, is to love the people that we somehow react negatively to. Yeah. So everything we're talking about, I just went through this with my, my eight-year-old <laughs> last night. We watched The Grinch. She's eight. All of a sudden, she's very emotional and she's crying. And, and she cried a few times, but she just was like, this is so sad. This is why he lives in a mountain by himself, mom, because they bullied him out of the city, out of Whoville. And Cindy Lou has such a big heart, wants, you know, to include him. And then at the very end, his heart gets so big. The point is, is that when we see someone that we think is hard to love, it's because yeah. there's something in us that we've got to clear and That's got right. to yeah. There's something along the lines of love that I read that's in your book about how as your individual practice deepens with love, you will develop the capacity to hold the frequency of love in the world for longer periods of time and in more challenging settings. Mm -hmm. And that is really important and really hard because you can find that space of love for someone who has betrayed you or hurt you, but then not letting other things come back into your mind and sidetrack you from that love is really hard to keep that, you know, Absolutely. that pace. Absolutely. So how does practicing this deepen that? And what are those practices? What well, do they look like? Part of it is to, uh, you start off with optimal conditions around you. You know, it's kind of like learning to meditate. You don't go to a busy street corner and sit down and say, okay, I'm going to learn to meditate. You start in a quiet room, you start, you know, with slow music on and you work your way up to it. But ultimately you get to that place where you could sit at a busy street corner and meditate. Same thing with practicing love. You practice love in a controlled setting and maybe it's just doing a loving kindness meditation for that person that's harmed you, where you wish them well and you send them love and healing. And obviously to yourself as well. And over time, maybe it's a family member. And so you limit your exposure to that family member who's hurt you. And then you find yourself getting stronger and stronger, staying in a place of unconditional love toward them. And so you can spend a little more time with them. And then eventually you can work up to that place where you can, you know, have a conversation with them about how they hurt you. 
and how you've forgiven them. And it won't matter whether they get upset or they don't forgive you or they don't even remember it. You're still in a place of love. And so you've come all the way back to healing that relationship. There's no recipe for it other than just, uh, you know, testing the water time and time again and going a little farther into that relationship until you can stay in that relationship in a place of love. Does yeah. that make sense? Oh, I totally. And I also see, you know, so the solution isn't really in the other person. It's, it comes from inside of you. Like if it is peace you're seeking, it is in here. And so you're not seeking peace in between you two. You find it within and like right. it naturally happens. The connection right. then of peace happens, but it starts within. Right, right. Every Everything in your reality starts within you. Yeah. And and the yeah. the the way that you know you can you can gauge people's inner reality by what they're what they're sending off right. yeah. into the world, right? If they're sending off hatred and and uh, you know fear and everything else, then it's hell inside of them. That's so right. You got to start with that that inside work. Um, you, you brought up uh, a reminder of uh, the definition of resentment is drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, it's, yeah, and it's really what, you know, you're poisoning yourself. They may not even remember it or they may not have intended it, but you're getting eaten up inside. I also loved the word extinguish. Um, that you used that the ultimate goal is to extinguish our human response to the events of the world. Yeah. You know, I'm very visual. So I, I literally pictured myself picking up like a, an extinguisher and spraying <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't well, know why, but that sentence really stuck out to me. Can you talk about that? The ultimate goal is to extinguish our human response to the events of the world. Okay, so um, pick pick any event that is irritating to you. Your the event itself is not the irritant. It's your processing of the event in your brain that says, "Oh, they were just." Um, uh, disrespectful to me or whatever. And so the goal is to not have a human response, but to see the world unfolding in its own perfection as it unfolds in front of your eyes. It's like watching a movie. And, you know, sometimes we get upset about things that happen in a movie, but we don't go up, go home and spend the next year complaining about what happened in that movie right? It was just a movie. Well, the, the world that we see is just a movie. In my first book, I talk about what I call the God game, where uh, we started with a point of singularity. There was, you know, the Big Bang Theory says that there's, that at some point in the unfolding of the universe, there was nothing but a point of singularity. And from that, everything exploded out into the universe. Well, 
I call it the God game because at that point of singularity, everything was one. When the universe exploded out, uh, I'm not the tree outside the window here right now. And I, I am, but my perception as a human being is that's one thing and I'm something else. When in reality, we are one and the same. We're part of the oneness that created the universe. And the God game is God or spirit or source or goddess or whatever label you want to put on the source, forgetting itself and setting in motion this almost a hide and seek game. And we're at the leading edge of the hide and seek game where we're coming to recognition, wow, everything is God, everything is source. And when we come to that place, then we've completed the God game. We've gone full circle. And, uh, you know, we then rejoin the, the um, energy of the universe and recognize that everything is energy. And we've got all kinds of resources and skills that we haven't even remembered. So that's, that's the... Um, that's the process that I think is going on. So that's why I think it's inevitable that consciousness is rising. And it's just fun to be on the top of the wave, just kind of watching things go. And when do you think it started arising? At that point of singularity. Okay. From there, yeah. And, okay. you know, last, last few thousand years, we've, uh, been hijacked by this idea that the material world is all there is and it isn't even real. What's real is the energy that that brings that into being. So we can retrain our brains to have that, you know, have things come in and then process it and go outward differently. We can retrain our brains. Absolutely. Yeah, neuroplasticity is uh and epigenetics we can even retrain our dna to turn on or turn off a uh, a particular gene so epigenetics tells us that our neural pathways are kind of uh grooved in certain ways when we engage in behaviors so you talked about addiction that's a grooving of a neural pathway so that the substance that you're using is it, you've used so many times in a row that that's just your default. You know, people that are in recovery rewire their brains. Those addictive pathways are still there, but they've done a reroute around them. So they've grooved a uh, sobriety pathway that then can be as strong as the addictive pathway. And the addictive pathway always is always there. So, you know, I do, I've done a lot of work in substance abuse treatment. The addictive pathway is always there, so there's always that risk. But if you've grooved the, the pathway for sobriety and really locked into it, then you can live your best life even with you know, the past of having uh, suffered from addiction. I think um, also that's a great explanation and for our listeners to be able to also 
see that this is also how loops happen in patterns and you know how people get on these repetitive loops with people their relationships this is just keep on coming up coming up coming up you have to just rewire your brain to just not do that anymore and also generational trauma and patterns and negative patterns and which is something i'm big on everybody knows that but i did i had to break roots that i came into this earth with that's that was part of my purpose because they were so strong and something that i used to just think that was very honorable as a person you know to be so selfless and to only care about everyone else i believed in that in the core of my heart this body and those generational patterns were strong and i broke them you know i rewired i turned that off it's it's liberating right and that's where where you come to a place where you've unlocked your choice if you're doing a pattern you're not making a choice you're just going with the same thing you've been doing the whole time when you break that pattern then you come to a choice point where you can say do I want to go this direction or do I want to go this direction override it you've got the free will to override it absolutely it's powerful and we have that in us because I see people feel so stuck you can feel so stuck yeah So, Tom, let me ask you, how important is self-love? Oh, it's essential. We talk about being selfish, which is nothing about self-love. Self-love is about valuing yourself as a manifestation of the creative force of the universe. If you come from a creator that is love, then what does that make you? I mean, by definition, you're love right? And so self-love is about acknowledging your worth in the world and that you're here to manifest the love that comes from the creator. People use the word selfish, though, to try to control somebody. You know, if I said, oh, you're, you're being selfish by cutting this uh, interview short. Well, I'm trying to get you to not cut it short. So I'm going to say something that might trigger maybe your childhood where you were told not to be selfish, right? And so then you say, okay, well, we'll keep the interview going. So using the word selfish with someone else is a mechanism of control, trying to control them. In the work that I do with my psychotherapy clients, a lot of times they don't want to nurture themselves because they've been told that's selfish. But that's self-love because it's your responsibility to take this temple that you've been given and maximize its possibilities in the world. Nobody else can do that. And so am I hearing this right? And the people who are telling you that you're selfish are trying to control that because they don't want you to take it away from them because they have their own self-love issues. They haven't filled up for themselves. Right, right. Yeah, I do a lot of couples work and, you know, people get really twisted around in marriages about, you know, what's my part to do and what's their part to do. And, you know, oftentimes people don't take care of themselves and they expect the other person to do it 
but it's something that only they can do. And so they get upset with the other person. So self-love is, is critical. We each have a certain amount of things that we can do to keep our body and our mind and our emotions in balance. And we also need relationship, but relationship doesn't satisfy all our needs. We've got to yeah. do some of our, our own needs. We satisfy ourselves. So I have a confession. <laughs> oh boy. And I'm so, you know, it's just supposed to come to me right now. So okay. I woke up yesterday, not feeling well, right? And I woke up in the morning and I said to my partner, I was like, yeah, I don't feel good. And he just like rolled over. I'm like, I just got done telling you I didn't feel good. Like nothing. <laughs> I wanted to be cared for. Yeah. But yet I know that I haven't been caring for myself. Okay. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Right. But, you know, it, some of that's indirect communication. I mean, that's yeah. what I was going to say. If, yeah. if you want to be cared for, you you don't just say, I, I don't feel well, because that might just be a piece of information. If, if you want something, say, say I don't feel well. Can you care for me a little bit today? Yeah. yeah. And then and then you'll get cared for. And then but as he rolls over, right. Shanna. <laughs> you're absolutely right. That, well, you know, I was an you've asshole gotta start the whole with... day. <laughs> I was. I was because of, the whole day. Because he ignored your uh your request in the morning. Your indirect Because I'm like, request. well, when you're sick, I'm always, you know. See, there you go. You don't you know be kind to receive something. And I don't, but you know, you're not yeah. owed anything. You can get it. You from know yourself. what my husband would say? He'd say, I'm not psychic. I don't know that's what it means. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. That's my well, confession. I feel if, bad. If we want to get into a, a whole discussion on gender differences and communication we can do that oh, another time. oh gosh we'll have <laughs> to have you on again from Venus. It's, a, it's a real thing <laughs> yeah. so can i ask you a question um what is an interfaith minister and an interspiritual minister okay uh interfaith minister is i went to the new seminary in new york city and okay. it was a two-year program and we studied the major faith traditions so we studied Muslim and, and Hindu and Jewish awesome. and, and learned about them, learned to be at least conversant in them, obviously not, you know, like a convert or anything. And so then we were ordained and are able to speak cross culture with different faith traditions. Awesome. So that's an interfaith minister. I love um, that. Okay. Yeah, one of the one of the assignments was uh, to develop a marriage uh, ceremony between people of two different faiths, like a Hindu wow. marrying a Jew or something. So, Whoa. you know, okay. really cool stuff. That is Inter amazing. Yeah. Inner spiritual minister uh, is another program that I went through, and that one takes an individual and helps them to kind of frame out their own sense of spirituality and what works for them. So it's more of an individual approach. You know, I'm glad I asked that because I had no idea. And I, it makes my soul happy that those 
exist. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on. That's really cool. Yeah. I call uh, religion color by number and uh, spirituality a blank canvas. So, mm. you know, you, you get to bring it out of your own it should soul. be it's a shame that you know many of us are born into it without that choice before we're even born <laughs> right right there is what i call religious trauma which is oh that too mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You, you i don't even need to explain that one yeah <laughs> so in this book that you wrote there's a lot of people right now that i think are stuck for numerous reasons but they're, they, they say things to me like, okay, this is all great. I understand that you guys are trying to help people to find their purpose, but what is the first step? Like, what do I do? What, you know, how do I figure out what my purpose in life is? You know, what would you say? The first step is to disconnect from the seen world. Disconnect from all of the noise around us. We've got We've got so much information that's coming into our perceptual field that, you know, more than any other generation, it's just overwhelming. It's like trying to drink out of a fire hose. And, you know, we've got to shut down the fire hose and find a way or a place where you can quiet your mind so that you can start listening to your heart. And we can call it meditation, we can call it prayer, uh, we can call it uh, daydreaming, you know, all it doesn't matter what you call it, but it's getting to the place where you're not processing everything that's going on around you. With uh, technology now, we've got immediate access to everything, which is great, but it also keeps us locked into our mind, into our brain, instead of going down to our heart. So mm -hmm. the first step is, you know, start taking a 15 minute walk in the woods once a week, you know, start um, diving into some hobby that gives you joy, you know, finding something, it's called a flow experience, where you lose sense of your of time and you lose sense of yourself you merge with the the experience and so those flow moments then help you to realize that you're more than just your mind you're more than just your brain and so that's the first step is to take a few minutes every day or once a week to disconnect from your mind i do a mm -hmm. meditation a couple of free ones on my website I used to call them unitive meditations. Now I'm calling them ecstasis meditation. Ecstasis is a Greek word that means to stand outside of yourself. So it's basically a uh, meditation that the goal is to relax your, your body and mind enough that your spirit gets set free and it can wander and just, you know, you'll see colors or you'll see people that have crossed or, you know, who knows what you'll see. It's, it's what I call the sea of possibilities. When I had my near-death experience, my second one, I realized about a year after, because my senses were so heightened, that I would put in earplugs sometimes, like my dad, yeah. like my 80-year-old father, and I would 
try to block out noise. And I feel like when you shut down one sense, your other one's heightened. I wrote in a journal that I feel like I had to die to awaken. I feel like I have to be blind sometimes in order to see. And I feel like I have to be deaf in order to hear. And when I purposely shut off my hearing and plug my ears, I can hear my inner self. When Mm -hmm. I put on a blindfold or cover my eyes with a pillow, I have that inner seeing. And when, you know, I have the depth of that ego, it's when I'm awakened more to true, my true soul. It's sad that I had to be so dramatic and die to come to all of those. uh... (laughs) But, you know, sometimes I suggest to people, just do simple things like that. Close your eyes. Also, it's in rehab, it was really, they made me put on a blindfold and have people walk me around all day. And it gave me that sense of inner trust and trusting others, just all little things like that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. What we're talking about here is slowing down our brainwave patterns. So right now we're in beta brainwaves. If we closed our eyes and breathe down into our belly, diaphragmatic breathing, we drop down pretty quickly into alpha brain waves. Well, what the goal is, is to get into theta brain waves, which is four to eight hertz. And that is where our mind shuts down, our brain shuts down, and we don't process anymore, but we're still awake enough to feel that sense of expansiveness and to get out into the the unseen world. The bottom wavelength is delta waves, and that's when you fall asleep. But the goal is to get into theta brain waves so that we can shut down our brain for a little bit. Just imagine if you never shut off your car. If you just walked in the house and left your car running all the time, how how exhausted would your car be within months, right? So something with our brain, we've got to shut it down sometimes to allow us to see the world as it really is instead of all of the stuff that distracting us. Most people in our lives want us to pay attention to the seen world, right? Mm -hmm. From the people we live with to uh, people that are selling us stuff to, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I can't wait to do that meditation. I did see that you have a free um, self-love yeah. one on your website. What is your website and what are you offering right now? What do you have out there as in classes and tell everybody where they can get your book? Okay. The website is thomascapshu.com, T-H-O-M-A-S. C-A-P-S-H-E-W.com. And on the website, I have a free choose love meditation, which takes you down into your body into what I call the sacred heart or the temple of your heart. And then have you fill yourself with love from the universe. I'd like to offer anybody that's listening to this podcast to a free download of my ebook of Consciousness Rising. All you have to do is email me at freeebook at thomascapshu.com and I'll uh, send you out a, a free ebook for the, that has Consciousness Rising, the whole book. I'm gearing up to have a set of meditations on the website that have different lengths of time where there's just music so that you can just float out into that space. So 
do you make music? Are you a musician? I'm not a musician. I'm, oh, I'm surprised. You know, what? <laughs> well, thank you. That's a. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's that's something I haven't lived into yet. Oh, not yet. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Um, I, I am certified in sound healing, so I do crystal okay. bowls and, and yeah. things like that. There's also right now a special, uh, you can buy both of my books with free shipping in the U.S. for 25 bucks. That's a good um, deal. Yep. What was your intention with this book? The intention with this book is was to remind people that we are moving into a huge opening into a different way of living in the world with each other. We're expanding into that sense of yeah. love and, and seeing each other for who we really are, which is sources of love. I think that the reason I asked that is because it just is so amazing to me that we have so many authors on here that are willing to give their books away to our listeners for free, because that really shows you where your intention is. It's coming from that place of love. It's not like you're trying to just make a million dollars. It's that you are truly bringing a loving intent and wanting to share that with others. So thank you for that. You're welcome. You're yeah. welcome. And I would, awesome. I would like to mention that I also uh, work individually with clients, both uh, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as online. If anybody feels a call to check that out. I do a free 30-minute consultation and I talk with people. I've got clients in Germany and England and, you know, different places, so. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. I just want everybody to reawaken to the knowledge that they are created by the love of the universe mm -hmm. and they just all we have to do is quiet the world around us enough to recognize it and then start living out of that and it won't take 50 percent of the population to realize that to shift the whole planet it's it's going to happen within the next two years, we're going to shift into a place where we eliminate poverty, we eliminate war, we eliminate violence. It's, it's happening. That's my hope for the world as well. Mm, I love hope. I love hope. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much for taking time today to be with us and for sharing your soul with us. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you guys for yeah. all the work you do. Yep. Yeah, it's absolutely been a pleasure. I'll be sending you Reiki about your COVID in the house. So oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go stop being an asshole now too. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good for your immune system. Yeah. yeah. And for, and for my partner. <laughs> there <Thank> you, you. <laughs> go. <laughs> Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.